coach, someone who inspires and motivates, teaches and leads, mentors and guides. We've all had a favorite coach or teacher in the past. What was it that made them so special? Was it the extra attention and care they gave us? The connection they shared with us? The expertise they taught us? The impact they made in our lives and in the way we saw ourselves? The leadership roles they gifted us with while on their teams? The confidence we gained under their direction? It's hard to say exactly what it was. It's hard to put into words, but they're special. They've made an impact on our lives that can never be forgotten. We feel a debt to them for the time and energy they poured into us. We're forever changed by them. As adults, we still need mentors and coaches. It's different though, because we have to seek them out. We get to decide what we want to specialize in and who to coach us. We can interview multiple coaches and pick the one that we feel most comfortable with. We can look up reviews online from their past clients and get a feel for their programs. We're empowered to find the right coach. On today's show, we're interviewing Gina Mauricio, a healthcare provider who specializes in coaching recreational runners of all ages and experiences to run with less injury potential and greater performance outcomes. She has a Master of Science degree in kinesiology and a personal training certification. She understands how to prevent injury and has helped many clients learn how to train smarter, not harder. She's compassionate with her runners. Her website, runwithgina.com, has many exciting testimonials of successful journeys with Coach Gina. So come along as we discuss the keys to faster times and less injuries. Happy trails. Gina Mauricio, we're doing an interview. One of the reasons we, we brought uh, Coach Gina in today is that uh, uh, if you're familiar at all with our podcast, you know we try to cover the triad of health and we cycle through that with uh, everything from emotional uh, um, health issues to, to nutritional and, and physical. Um, so today uh, we're focused on the physical and the next few segments will likely be on those things as well. So we brought Coach Gina in because she is a running coach and she's worked with uh, hundreds of people uh, in Southern California and just so I can do her justice, I'm just going to read a short bio about her and then we'll get into some more detail, detailed information about what she does. Gina M. Mauricio, Mar, excuse me, Gina M. Mauricio, MSCPT, CES, is a native of San Diego, California. In 1998, she graduated from the University of Southern California with a Bachelor's of Science degree in dental hygiene. Since then, she's been practicing not just oral hygiene services, but overall health care. Running her first marathon in 2006 and sustaining a preventable stress fracture in the process, she sought out a professional training certification to better understand the body. Only touching on the tip of the iceberg of information, she later pursued a Master's of Science degree in kinesiology through A.T. Still University, with an emphasis on exercise and sports psychology. Armed with information as a healthcare provider, extensive evidence-based knowledge from graduate studies, hours of continuing education and corrective exercises, and practical experience with rec recreational runners of all ages and experiences, Coach Gina is ready to help you with less injury potential and greater performance outcomes. I like it. Thank hey, you. Uh, you're welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dr. Kell. Absolutely. Anytime. Right. They uh, <laughs> wanted to start out, Gina, tell us your story. Give us a little background. Well, I took up a marathon running in uh, mid-2005, marathon training. Um, my Actually, my cousin invited me to train for a half marathon with her, and 
two weeks into the training, she became injured. So we had joined a training club, and all the people I was running with were going to run the full marathon. So through peer pressure, I kept going in my mileage on the training plan to prepare for the marathon. So I did. And um, in the process, about maybe six weeks prior to the marathon, I was having some pain in my feet. And I kept training, ran the race, and then later found out that I had a bilateral stress fractures in my naviculars, bone in my feet. So I um, then was wondering daily, how did this happen to me? And how can I prevent this from happening again? And how can I help other people? And so then I started my journey of uh, learning the body and learning how to prevent this type of thing. And then I started my coaching business. Very nice. Very nice. So it actually took an injury yep, for, sure did. to motivate you into figuring out. And that's a common story today, isn't it? With a lot of people, they something happens to them and they like, I got to find the solution to the problem, which now led you to an actual uh, service that you provide the public and people that want to run and, and run marathons and, and just run because they enjoy running, right? Absolutely. They uh, wanted to ask you, you were featured in uh, uh, Runner, Runner's World yes. magazine in September of 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about that. So the feature was actually, I because I was working full-time as a dental hygienist, it, it was very difficult to start a coaching business because I already had a, a full-time job. So I looked into this program called the Online Trainers Academy, and it basically taught you the business aspect of um, training on an online platform. And I went through that program, got that certification, and I started instilling a few of the little nuggets of information I learned, and I started getting more and more people. So I went from five runners to 10 runners to 25 runners. And it, it happened pretty um, rapidly to 50 runners. And I had um, shared on the Online Trainer Academy on their Facebook page, this picture of me with five runners and then this picture of me with 50 runners and how quickly I, I exploded. And um, they were just so excited. They really wanted to... Um, as part of marketing for the Online Trainers Academy, they wanted to share my story. And basically, they have people in health and fitness uh, everywhere. And so they, they pitched my story to Runner's World. And Runner's World said, hey, this sounds like a great human interest story. And uh, so they chose to, to feature me in Runner's World magazine. Awesome. And that article can be found on your website? Is that right? It, it's, it cannot be found on my web. Well, one of my blogs does have a link to it, but people, when they Google my name or they Google Run With Gina, it will come up is one of the okay. first things. And I, I hope it's up. okay if we put it on our website. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at OceanBayNaturals.com. Uh, now, you have a website. What's that called? RunWithGina.com. RunWithGina.com. Remember that. Look it up. Go see what Gina does. She can help you. Um but I wanted to go back for a second. I, as I read the article, I was fascinated by it. And I really like the story about the first runner. Can you share that with us a little bit? So as I mentioned, I was working full time as a, as a dental hygienist. And I was uh, at the tail end of my graduate studies. But I had already taken biomechanics, movement dysfunction, functional anatomy. I was already past all those classes. 
And I heard of this runner that had run many half marathons, many marathons, and she had just run a marathon where essentially she walked the majority of it because she had a hip injury. So I reached out to her and I said, well, this may sound odd, but I understand that you didn't have such a great race at at the Rock and Roll Marathon this past weekend, and I, I think I may be able to help you. So if you wouldn't mind, I'd, I'd like to help you, see if I can get you out of this injury. And if it, um, if we're successful, all I ask is that you tell your friends and family about me. And so that's, um, that's what we did. And we got through her injury, got her back to um, healthy running, and she decreased her marathon time to sub four hours, which before she was over four hours, and then eventually qualified for the Boston Marathon. And she's been pretty injury-free now, and that's, we're going on, I believe, six years. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. The, uh, I also noticed in the article as I read through, it says 80% of runners, up to 80% of runners mm-hmm. get injuries every year running mm-hmm. marathons. That's huge. Yeah, you What's know, the, the statistic, it's, it's kind of, it goes up to 80%. You can look through many journals, and they'll say the injury rate is 39% to 80% of runners within a year will get injured. And the reason why it's so such a large spread is they really don't define injury. So it could be like, my big toe hurt, so <laughs> I took a week off of running. Or it could be something more like iliotibial band syndrome or, you know, patellofemoral syndrome or um, a fracture, a major, a traumatic injury. So, but bottom line, in, in my time with working with people of all ages and abilities, what I've found, the common denominator with any type of injury is, is improper loading, loading their body improperly. So uh, going way back, way back to chiropractic school. So what does that mean to load the body? That means the stress upon, a stress upon the body. So load would be miles, miles or intensity, how many miles a week you, you run or how fast you run. And um, going way back to the laws of biomechanics, the body will break down, will remodel along the lines of stress. Bones and soft tissue remodel along the lines of stress. So, and what you, kind of causes that? So, what causes that? So, it's just it's too it's too much. It's too, I always tell people that exercise and running trashes our body. A lot of people don't hear that from their coach or trainer. Lots of coaches and trainer are like harder, faster, more. Whereas I am a brake pedal. I pull people back. I have to pull people back in their intensity. I have to pull back people back in um, their mileage. The bottom line is we get stronger in our rest, recovery, nutrition, and all the things we're doing when we're not running. Right. I mean, like bodybuilders, you know, they got to take a break, let the muscles heal that, that they've just damaged through, through uh, lifting. Absolutely. Uh, same kind of principle, right? Absolutely. They, I noticed in here in the article, it said the key to faster times and less injury is to slow down. Mm-hmm. Why? So when we are running slow, we get physio- physiological adaptions. We gain more capillaries within our muscle that, you know, is then taking the oxygen- oxygenated blood to the muscles and we get more mitochondria. We build our slow twitch fibers. I mean, there's a whole lot of things. Can I ask another question? Yeah. Um, 
it's always fascinated me. You know, some people are out there. I, I, I like to fast walk. Um, I, I, you know, or they call what they do jogging or, or running. What really? What are the benefits of each? What, you know, you're you're a running coach, so you promote running. Um, what's best, or why are they different? Or so a lot of runners absolutely cannot stand being called joggers. <laughs> For whatever reason, they're they're offended by that. Um, but in my mind, and against popular opinion, to me, jogging is nice and easy, and that's where the magic happens. The magic happens in so you can, nice and they're easy. They're still runners. They're still run. They're still runners. They're still runners. Sometimes to improve as a runner, one must leave their ego at the door, swallow their pride, and it's okay to go jogging. Jogging, jogging is going to help you become better in the long run. No pun intended. You got to stop worrying about people watching you and absolutely and, and, and make it fun of you because you're moving slow or fast or whatever it might absolutely. be. Absolutely. They uh, talk for a minute about muscle instability. I mean, that's a big one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, most people, isn't that? Is that what caused your injuries uh, years ago? So I I will never know for fact what caused my injuries, but I'm going to go ahead and assume because I was not a recreational runner and all of a sudden I'm training for a marathon. And even though, you know, it was a, a progressive program, it was really too much too soon. It was too much too soon. So A lot of people do that, right? They're oh, getting out of the blue, especially yeah. like people – my age is like bucket list. I need to get back into this, and I'm going to run a marathon. Yeah. yeah. And next thing they do, they're, they're they they um, die on the track or, right. or or end up in the hospital because <laughs> they, they don't they really don't know what they're doing. So they need you. We all need you if we're going to do that, right? Well, at least for a period of time. In my mind, I I have I consider my runners students, and I would like my students to come and learn, and then. Go, but they don't go. They stay, which is great. It was well, great. Well, tell for us me. about that process a little bit. Let's say you know what I like jogging, but you know I've always got some problems, um, and so actually I hate running. Just between you and me, I I I, I, and everyone I tried listening. track when I was in junior high, and I, I wasn't very good at it all. And I was kind of like, okay, um, you know what. I, I really don't like this. And oftentimes if I go running, I'll, I'll get back pain afterwards. So I'm guessing I have some imbalances there that you could probably analyze as well. But walk us through the process. Let's say I contact you. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? How are you going to help me? So the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get your medical history. I'm going to get your running history, your athletic history, and your previous injury history all history of injury, not just, not a running, you know, uh, tra any traumatic, any surgeries, <laughs> any accidents. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you those types of questions. And then if you're, um, so if you've contacted me and you haven't run from high school, um, I'm going, and you have um, pain somewhere in your body, I'm going to suggest a, a movement assessment and if you're local to me, I can have you come to me or I can meet you or I can actually do it uh, virtually because I do have currently have 14 runners out of state in different states. Very nice. Yeah. They, uh, 
Explain to me what a movement assessment is. So basically it's based on a overhead and single leg squat assessment by the National Academy of Sports Medicine, which is a program that was developed by a physical therapist. So basically I would film you in different positions, squatting with your arms overhead, and then doing a single leg squat with your hands on your hips. And as you go into that squat, your body, your, your boat, your, everything's going to go to the path of least resistant. So whatever muscles are tight or overactive are going to pull the bones one way and whatever weak is, is going to allow that pull to happen. So then I know we need to lengthen and relax the overactive muscles and we need to strength train the weak muscles. So those maneuvers help mm -hmm. you figure out what's happening with the muscles, and, and then you can proceed with an exercise program to mm -hmm. strengthen those muscles. Mm -hmm. What else do you do? So if uh, you don't require that because not everybody requires it um, and you're brand new to running, I would start very, very, very low. I call it low and slow. Slow paces at low mileage. So when you, you say know, slow, what, what, you know, if I'm a slow runner, how long does it take me to run a mile? So if you don't have, well, everybody's different. We all, our inherent ability is different. We all have a ceiling of what is we're capable of. And of course, we don't know what that is. It depends on the level of the person. If the person is younger and they come from a competitive background of some sort, I may have them do a, um, a one-kilometer time trial to get a base, and that would be like an all-out effort. And then there's um, there's basically equations or tools where you can plug in that one-kilometer time trial, and there's it will say based on data of thousands of runners over decades, okay, if they can run that one kilometer in X amount of time, then an easy training pace that will benefit them for endurance training, their aerobic building their aerobic monster would be within this pace range. So there are tools to help with that. You know, I don't just, you know, I don't just come up with it. I do. There is um, the science to it. Absolutely. And you follow the process of you know, mm -hmm. step by step, depending on the individual and what you figure out their needs are from their evaluation and, and what their goals are. What do they want to accomplish? Do they just want to be a daily runner and just want to do it safely? Or do they want to go run marathons? Absolutely. You know, everything from that in between, I'm sure. Um, so give us a little example of um, what exercises you might have somebody do. I noticed in the article that you have people work with bands and rollers. What's that all about? So, you know, when somebody gets a, you know, as in you as a chiropractor, when, when somebody has a knot or an adhesion uh, within their muscle, I like to think of that as like um, a uh, boulder on a on a railroad track. Like it's going to stop you in your tracks. It's going to it's going to slow down that muscle contraction. It's not going to make it as efficient. So, a lot of people actually foam roll incorrectly. A lot of people will get on there and they'll just start rolling back and forth rapidly. That may be good for warming up a muscle, but for a corrective, we are slowly rolling until we find that adhesion. And then we sit there for 30 to 90 seconds, our body weight on that adhesion. And there's a mechanoreceptor within that, within that adhesion. And Golgi tendon organ. I don't know if you remember that, yes, <laughs> that yes, term yes. from back in the day. And when you're applying that pressure, it sends a message to the brain. 
to, for that area to relax. And it hurts. It hurts like a mother. Every, people call so it. So they're the pain not moving ring. once they find the hard spot. Once they're they letting it sit there on it with it's pressure a, for a while. It's an acupressure. It becomes okay. an acupressure. Yes, and then it sends that signal to the brain to to relax, and it lengthens it out. So if you continue rolling, you may still feel that you know that that bump in the road, but it's not going to be as painful as what it was. So that's how uh, I like to teach bone rolling, not just okay. rolling, rolling. Ball. And with, with the bands, if they've got an imbalance in their hamstrings mm -hmm. or quads or mm -hmm. whatever muscle it might be mm -hmm. in their lower extremity, then you've got them doing a set of exercises with the bands to strengthen those right. areas. Yeah. Um, like clamshell, you know, clamshell exercises or side steps or it just depends on what the imbalance is, but you don't. So when I say, oh, we need to strengthen what's weak, I'm not talking about you're going to go uh, deadlift. 200 pounds. You're not looking for a PR in your deadlift or or a squat. It's it's actually very simple exercises, but n normally it's in the muscles of stability, not necessarily in your prime movers. Okay. So those those muscles are neglected. So those band exercises, they will hurt because you're just not used to working those right. muscles. Muscles that are I've been sleeping for a long time. You wake them up, yeah. get them going and strengthen those up and, and you find a big difference. Well, I noticed too in that article you mentioned that you've helped a lot of, lot of runners improve their PR. What is that? Personal record. Personal record is your PR. Some people call it a PB, their personal best. And um, a lot How does that happen? How does that happen? I mean, even you even mentioned that some... People have been running marathons for years. Mm -hmm. You've been able to improve their PR. Mm -hmm. How's that possible? I, These guys should have been yeah. knowing what they were doing all along, right? I applied the brake pedal. Yeah, that's how you start out. Slow down and... and slow, it, slow it down. Slow down, improve your body's functions and, and strength mm -hmm. and correct, correct the mm -hmm. imbalances. And all of a sudden, things mm -hmm. start working better. You become a well-oiled machine. Very good. So you can do that for people. And it she sounds can. like you've had great success with it. Great success. So. Now, we try to cover the triad of health. So we've talked about the exercise mm -hmm. program or what you put them on to try to fix them physically, and it works very well, and you, and you mm -hmm. see great improvement there. But I'm sure you also deal with emotional and nutritional issues mm -hmm. with related to a runner. Can you talk about – let's, let's go, go to the nutritional first and then maybe talk about the emotional. So nutritionally, traditionally, marathon runners, they all think, oh, we hit the carb load. Right. That's that's the thing. We're going to we're going to load up and we're going to have a pasta dinner and we're all going to carb load before before the race. And just in general, people will just carb load because they think that's what they require. But, you know, carbohydrates, um, what I've found, I, I got a precision nutrition certification um, last May and it was actually just complementing my um, exercise um in sports-related nutrition classes that I that I had already taken in graduate school, and what I, I didn't learn anything new, but now I had all these runners. I had this my little experiment people that my my research group. So I put thirty people on a if the standard American diet is fifty to sixty percent carbohydrates in the diet, I put everybody on thirty-five percent, and what happened was. People started dropping weight, and in essence, they started running faster. It did not. It did not affect their running at all. 
So you might have thought, oh, they're going to be weaker because they're not having all those carbs. But that's really not the way it works. Yeah, but it's for yeah. some reason the way society has has thought because it because it makes sense. OK, carbs tend to be our energy source. So let's dump a whole bunch of them in our body. Well, mm -hmm. that's not, you know, we um, we can talk for a second if you'd like to about how that how that works in the muscles. How, how does the body utilize that utilize that energy? It's really from storing. It, it's already got pre-stored amounts of fats and, and carbohydrates mm -hmm. uh, in the form of glycogen mm -hmm. in the muscle. Mm -hmm. And that's really where the body gets its energy. Mm -hmm. um, not so much because of those stores. You use those stores up first, right? Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. So the, that storage, we store between 1,800 and 2,200 kilocalories of glycogen, which we can just call carbohydrate. And we store between 30 and 90,000 kilocalories of fat intramuscularly in the liver. So not necessarily abdominal fat or air. So when you're burning fat during, mm -hmm. during running, and, and you talk about in your article of that, and, you, and we talked before off the show, um, about how uh, you want people to use that fat first. Right. And that is when you are running or exercising at a particular percentage of your maximal heart rate. So you're going to be tapping into that intramuscular fat as fuel when you are at 75% or less maximal heart rate. Because I, I don't heart rate train my runners, but I'm heart rate aware and our, the app I use will import their data, I can guarantee you that, that most people... <laughs> Most people are at over eighty, are at over eighty percent, um, but I know that by slowing them down, they're going to be able to to go longer. Well, let me ask you a question about that, because um, to me it and it makes sense, but I don't think a lot of people think about that. Is let's say I'm running a marathon, mm -hmm. and or or maybe just I'm running a mile, um, but I want to do it for time, mm -hmm. and so. You want to get to a level where you're just using those fat stores first so you can use the glycogen for the burst or the for the end for the right? Is that so, would you say that's so the case? Or that's part if of you're it? running a marathon, normally when you're running a marathon, you're running it significantly faster than you would in training. Okay. Uh, so you're going to be you're gonna be using your carbohydrate primarily. So if you're storing between eighteen hundred and uh, 2,200 kilocalories, you are going to be out of stored glycogen at two hours and 30 minutes of running. The average recreational runner is going to finish a marathon between four hours and 4.30. So they, they completely tap out of their glycogen. So they have to keep their blood level of glycogen up or sugar, blood sugar up by taking in exogenous carbohydrate sources so there's explain what you mean by that so that that's what you put into your fuel tank while you're running so that's you know taking carbohydrate gels or carbohydrate chews or um and there and there's probably good and bad of those too right so there you know you that is the time you don't want to drink the kool-aid that right? is the type that is the type of carb that is the time when you want that sugar okay. the problem is is that some people you have to adapt your stomach to receive that type of sugar because when you're running all your blood flow is going to your working muscles it's not going to your stomach and all of a sudden you're putting all this yeah, how's it going to get it out of there <laughs> that, into right, the muscles right you want fast gastric emptying 
And so the best thing is to actually train with those types of products. But some people, they, they just can't do it. And, and then there's some people, you know, that are more into um, natural type products. So we have That's a us. That's yes, us. absolutely. We're, we're, so we're we, promoting natural type products. Yeah. So we have a joke in my group. Um, I, I got everybody onto this book called Roar by Stacy Sim. She's an exercise physiologist. And in, in her book, she is primarily for women, but in her book, she has recipes and she has a version of, of a carbohydrate source that you can take while you're exercising that has, you know, pink Himalayan sea salt. So you're replacing your salt and so it's an electrolyte drink as well. Well, it's actually, no, it's a chew and they're okay, called, oh, and the joke is they're called salty balls. So, you know, everyone's like, who wants a salty ball? Like you can't do your gel. I have a salty ball for you. So they primarily, I've, I've never made them, but I think the big carbohydrate in it is, um, figs. Okay. Well, and electrolytes play a big part in all this too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Often people deplenish, mm -hmm. uh, deplenish all that while yeah, they're you, running, you and, need and that so too. they've got to add that in while they're running as well. Mm -hmm. Great. The, uh, let's talk a little bit about the emotional side of things. Oh, wait a second. You do a diet, right? You help people like, let's say I'm 20 pounds overweight, and you're like, you know, dude, um, you need to uh, maybe drop a few pounds. It'll improve your running mm -hmm. and, and take the load off your knees and, and mm -hmm. joints, mm -hmm. and right? Yeah, so that goes back to that precision nutrition certification that I mentioned earlier. So if you're going to lose weight, you have to be in a little bit of a calorie deficit. And part of the problem um, with running, exercising, a lot of people will say, a lot of people run to eat. They run so that they don't feel guilty that they're going to brunch with their friends and they're just going to, you know, get a little bit of everything on that menu and they, they want to do it guilt-free. But at the end of the day, when you add it all up, you're, you're normally intaking more than your intake is more than your, what you're putting out. Um, so we go to mindful eating by tracking, by tracking what we're eating and trying to stay not just within those uh, macronutrients where that 35% carbohydrates, but also within calories, the appropriate calories for you. So diet for a runner, very important, very important, the, the way they eat. If, if you want to improve, there are a lot of, you know, if you park yourself at a half marathon or marathon race, you're going to probably see more overweight people than you see fitter looking people. And it's a representation of our society, right? Because the majority are, are overweight, unfortunately. And... Um, so just getting them to be mindful, which is also the true of the general population, too. A lot of people bored to meat. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to be mindful of what you're taking in. Okay, great. They, let's go on a little bit to the emotional now. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to touch on, um, and you mentioned when we were talking before, about there being two walls. Uh, everybody talks about the wall, and, and I think we, we hit walls in our life all the time with the uh, uh, the things we're doing. It's sometimes when we try a new task, we, we always kind of hit a barrier that we have to overcome. And so there's a couple of walls you mentioned with regard to exercise and, and specifically running. Talk mm -hmm. about those for a minute. You mentioned you can eliminate at least one of them. Yeah. So uh, the physical wall would be that glycogen depletion where I said, you, you know, you're going to tap out at two hours and 30 minutes of, of running during during a marathon. So it's about fueling early and often with that uh, 
exogenous carbohydrate source, whether it's a fluid or it's a gel or it's your salty balls, pretzels, whatever, whatever it is, you, you it's have to be do, simple though. You, you can't load up on food you, before the no, run or the no, night before. You have to uh, self-regulate. You have to experiment with your body and find out what works best for you. Um, and that, so that's the physical wall. And then the, if you're fueling properly, if you're fueling properly, then sometimes there's the mental wall or the emotional wall. Perhaps you're not, the race isn't going the way you thought it would go. You did not factor into 15 mile per hour headwinds, or you didn't factor into the guy that's running the same pace the whole time as you that you know, part of what keeps him going is that, you know, every 30 seconds he's going, and you can't get away from him. I mean, it's true. It happens. (laughs) It happens. Things like that. Things like you can't prepare for everything. Right. So you have to, it's going to cause mental stress during the race. Right. So, and then just marathon running, sometimes it just gets boring. It's like, when is this going to end like I can't I during my first marathon I saw my entire life go past me like I relived my entire life it did not help just for something to do it didn't help that at mile 13 halfway through I passed an urgent care and then at mile 22 I passed a cemetery you know but you know you just it gets it's a whole it's a long time to be in your you're, own you're, head. You're kind of alone with your thoughts, yes, aren't you, while right. you're running? It's a long time. And, and, then and if those just, thoughts are negative yes, or, or yes, you're bringing up right. negative past experiences, right. that's going to slow you down, right. right? So then you really want to practice as part of your training some visualization and, and these scenarios. And how are you going to react to those scenarios? How, they do this in um, professional sports, sports psychology. So one of the things, like NFL football, you know, those guys – are on fire, right? They they want blood out there, right? But if you go for blood, you're gonna you're gonna get a foul, you're gonna get a ten yard penalty, it's gonna affect the team. So they really have to um regulate their emotions and they actually practice this. They do it through visualization. What are you gonna do when some guy, you know, pushes you? How will you react? You can't fight back. You can't. So it's the same with with um, when running. How are you going to respond? So you kind of go over scenarios with people like, these are the things you're going to experience on a marathon, especially with someone who doesn't have much experience with running a marathon, and, and they can kind of train in advance. Okay, if this, this happens to you, this is what you're going to do? I would like to say that I did that with all people, but I don't. I do. I only go through that with the people that struggle with that because okay. not not everybody not everybody struggles with that type with the of emotional thing. side of things mm-hmm. during the run. Yeah, some people are very strong. Um, there are a lot of books that I've recommended um, to people, but if seeing but any is of them called "What to Think About While You're Running," <laughs> might be a good one, Gina. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. How to solve the world's problems while you're while you're running, so yes. that you don't. And- Think about what you're doing. Yeah, you know, we're, you've covered a lot of information here so far, mm-hmm. but let's just kind of work towards the end of our um, mm-hmm. show here in a, for a minute. Just what what are the three most common questions you get from people regarding running? Uh, will I need a knee replacement because I run? <laughs> 
Yes, and I noticed that in, in your article, a lot of these, you, you work with a lot of older people, and a lot of them had surgeries, and they've got joint replacements and, and other things, and so... Yeah, I don't have anybody necessarily with a joint replacement. I have people that have surgically attached hamstrings, people with rods in their backs, and yeah, I've had people that, you know, have had um, traumatic injuries, injuries not necessarily from running, right? And so that... You know, the number one reason for knee replacement is traumatic injury or arthritis. And the number one reason for arthritis is just age-related, you know, that's number one. Number two is overweight and obesity. And, oh, did I say traumatic injury? So traumatic injury, overweight, and obesity. So if you look at uh, people with uh, knee replacements, like runners are really low on the list of and you think it might be high right i mean well i, I personally don't because <laughs> you know you don't know because you're knowledgeable but the average person um might tend to think that oh i, I go jogging i'm gonna trash right. my knees right. well just the general population there's just this misconception actually my favorite story working as a dental hygienist i had this patient who bless his heart he he always had his opinions were always not they were his opinions okay they they were not they were not facts and uh he had come in and he said to me yeah yeah you training for any marathons and i said no i'm not currently i'm not currently training myself for for a marathon oh good i don't care what anybody says you got to knock that off it's bad for your knees you're going to get bad knees and then his wife who was out in the uh waiting room that was overweight said to him I'm going to walk down to the kid's school to pay the pay the tuition and he said, "Do you want the car keys?" She said, "No, I'm going to I'm going to walk." And I said to him, "Oh, it's good. She's going to get a little exercise." "Oh, she can't walk too far. Her her knees are bad." I said, "Oh, was she a runner?" <laughs> he said, and he said, "No, she's just always had bad knees." Well, I'm thinking in the 15 years I've known her, she's also been overweight. So, you yeah. you know, how yep. much stress that yep. puts on the joints. Yep, absolutely. So, What's another question? That another question is um, shoes, footwear. Um, you know, one of the, and I hate, I don't know if any of my runners will ever listen to this podcast, but, you know, I, I always break their heart and offend them. Um, there's, um, you know, there's minimalist shoes, there's the standard running shoe, and there's the maximal shoe. And the maximal shoe really took off. So it's a heavily cushioned shoe. And it really took off maybe eight years ago. And I don't care for that shoe because it takes away your proprioception. When you have that much space between the ground and the receptors in the well, bottom of your foot. You, you'd think the pa extra padding would be good. Well, you know, it's it's it's... That extra padding is also going to um, challenge those muscles of stability. So I've had people tell me, I love them because I feel like I'm running on clouds. Well, first of all, if you imagine yourself running on a soft surface, sand versus, you know, an all-weather track or even the asphalt, which one can you get more, can you run faster on the sand or the all-weather track and the asphalt? 
right? You get more propulsion. You know, we store energy in our tendons, right? Mm -hmm. So the softer, the softer that your platform that you're moving from, you don't get to use that stored energy as much. So I, I just don't you steer really, people away from uh, that shoe. Then I, you, you like the in the middle. Where, uh, well, where do you go? So if somebody can transition to a minimalist shoe, that's always what I'm going for because minimalist shoes also tend to be wider in the toe box to allow for the the toe splay in a more natural. And if you're running correctly, um, you're not going to get the pain in the feet, the damage to the so to the bones like you you experienced in a traditional running shoe. There's about a anywhere from an eight to twelve millimeter difference between the heel and the forefoot, and in a minimalist shoe, it's a zero drop or maybe three millimeters maximum. So that difference between seven and nine millimeters, believe it or not, makes a big makes a big difference in how you absorb the ground reaction force. So injuries in people that try to adopt in a minimalist shoe, you see more. Um, calf strains, metatarsal fractures versus in a traditional running shoe, you see more of injuries at the hip. But again, if you, if you're strengthening your muscles, right, that are stabilizing those You're not going to get the injuries. Right. And you can't just go from that traditional running shoe to the minimal. You have to, it's like 10% each week. You just, you slowly go. But again, runners are not necessarily patient people. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I understand that. And, you know, generally I don't think people are patient. Mm -hmm. But, uh, so one more question. You know, what's another common question? So I'll have people tell me every time I train for a marathon, I gain weight. And then I have people that say, I have to sign up for a marathon because that's the only way I can lose weight. Well, how, how do we have two different, <laughs> right? So um, everybody's biology is a little different, right? So you have to, you can't pigeonhole everybody into, oh, we're all going to gain weight because we're carb loading all the time because not everybody will carb load, especially if they learn my new system, then they're not going to carb load. And um, just going out and uh, running multiple miles a week may may burn a lot of calories but it's not gonna not everybody's gonna lose weight because of what is they're doing when they're when they're not running. yeah their diets are different their metabolism is different and the women is different yeah and Uh, and that's the big thing metabolism you know you know people think metabolism means like whether they gain weight or lose weight but we know that it's metabolism is all metabolic all chemical processes in the body yeah they're running slow they're running fast yeah and how your hormones react how your thyroid reacts how your adrenal glands react everything interacts with each other yeah and uh so um thanks so much gina for coming on the show well thanks it's been wonderful very educational things i've learned i appreciate it um and if you want to learn to run out there get a hold of gina um she can teach you how uh and as you listen to our podcast in the future, um, just know we're on the exercise segments now. Um, and not everybody wants to be a runner, but maybe they should be, especially if they have you as a coach. Um, <laughs> tell us again, where can they find you? They can find me on runwithgina.com. Very good. Yep. Okay. And you can also, we'll have some links on our website. We'll put up some her article if we can, or at least a link to it and, and add some of the, uh, uh, she mentioned uh, some books. Um, so we'll, we'll list those too. 
Um, anything you'd like to end with, Gina? I'd just like to end with thanks for having me. You're welcome. Maybe we'll do it again. All right. While we make every effort to broadcast correct information, we are still learning. We will double check all facts, but realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and art. One doctor may have a different way of doing things from another. We are simply presenting our views on how to live a healthy lifestyle that will be as evidence-based as possible. We welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. We take no money from drug or device companies. By listening to this podcast, you agree not to use this podcast as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you are treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Kel Fullerton or any guests or any contributors to the podcast or any employees, associates, or affiliates of Dr. Kel Fullerton be responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast. This blog should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis of expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on this podcast. Our website, blog, and podcasts are all HIPAA compliant. While you may give your email address to subscribe to the website posts or to post information on the website blog, we will never share your email address or contact information with any third parties without your explicit permission. The contents of Health Talk with Dr. Kell podcast and the show notes are all copyrighted. All blog posts, podcasts, and show notes that are distributed to the public for free can be redistributed via hard copy or electronic copy for free only if Health Talk with Dr. Kell is included as the acknowledged author within the actual media that is being redistributed. The Health Talk with Dr. Kell podcast is a production of the Orange Stack with executive producers Dr. Kell Fullerton and Eric Hammond and hosts Nikki Sterling.